0: Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Today we are here gathered together to celebrate an empty tomb and why this moment in the history of our world changed everything. Like I said before, we've been a lot this year so far in the Gospel of Luke, and sometimes if you look at this resurrection account, there are four different Gospel accounts of the earthly ministry of Jesus, including his crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension. There are four Gospel accounts. When we look at Luke, we can see that there's differences among these four accounts, and sometimes that can feel a little frustrating. Like, who exactly was there? Which women went Which disciples were where, when? How many angels were standing where and who said what? There's a little bit of variety in how these eyewitness testimonies record this amazing moment. But I don't know that that's all that challenging to imagine. If you've ever been through a moment of searing surprise loss, that moment when the news came that you didn't see coming at all, and you've just been wrecked emotionally. Things can get a little fuzzy, right? And the way you walk through feels a little bit like walking through slow motion, pea soup, and how you experience that moment might be really different than the person walking through the same thing right next to you. Because in this moment, we see the disciples of Jesus not only suffering from this searing loss of a beloved friend, in a gruesome way they never could have imagined. But they also saw the loss of a hope that had been built in their minds. Remember last week there was this kingly honoring procession with this humble king riding on a donkey colt into Jerusalem. This is it. This is the moment that our Messiah has come and will reclaim the throne of David. We will no longer be under the Roman Empire, like the hopes and the dreams of all of what this would have met. And all of that, not only the loss of a friend, but the loss of that hope in your mind in the moment. What a loss this weekend would have felt like up until the moment that Joy just read for us. Now, we might think now, all right, you guys, but... I'm sorry for your loss. We know the end of the story. And I've read the Gospels. Jesus said multiple times that this is what was going to happen. Well, Jesus said a lot of things that were tricky to understand. He talked a lot in parables about widows and coins and vineyard owners and tenants. I don't know without the context to know about an empty tomb, if you would have known the difference between this story of the third day that he foretold and the fact that this actually could have been something beyond symbolism, beyond a parable, I don't know that you would have known. You would have spent, I would have spent, I won't project, I would have spent this yesterday, Saturday, just devastated on multiple levels. How did this happen? Traumatic, shocking, sudden loss, and an encounter with the miraculous. All of this would lead to slightly different accounts, so they do vary in detail. Some details, and that's understandable. But there are several things that all of them fully agree on, and that's what we're going to look at now. Number one, the women went to the garden of the tomb. That was the first thing that happened on this resurrection Sunday morning. The women went to the tomb, and when they went, the tomb was empty. Where Jesus' body has been laid, they knew where it had been laid, and it was not there anymore. And number three messengers of god proclaimed this truth he is risen, he is risen oh you guys we're still going to rock these cannons today this is going to be great we got it down so these are the three things that all the gospel accounts agree on so let's take a moment and join in with these women who went to the garden of the tomb on sunday morning Luke names a few of them, but leaves a few of them unnamed as well. But here's what we know. there was a group of women who went to this place. How did they know where to go? Well, these women were the ones who had been with Jesus all the way through that horrendous Friday night. They had followed Jesus all the way to the cross. They'd followed the procession to watch what was happening, to watch him be raised up onto that cross. They watched every gruesome bit until the end. Some of the male followers of Jesus, you guys, they couldn't go at this point. They would have been at great risk to be associated with this person who had just been accused of calling himself king of the Jews, and the men couldn't go. But the innocuous women, no one's so much worried about them, and they can follow until the very end. And they bore through it until the end. They, uh, the gospel accounts say that they were there at the foot of the cross, watching this moment. They stood there and saw a death too gruesome and degrading for any Roman citizen to even be uh, given that um, that same form of death. This was a gruesome and degrading form of death, and the women watched all the way through. And yet, Luke accounts, even though this was like, just no Roman citizen would even be executed in this way. The women say that something happened in that moment of the death of Jesus, where Jesus allowed that it is finished to come from his last breath. Something happened so miraculous that the women even saw that a Roman soldier standing there was the one who said, Oh, he really was innocent. And that Roman soldier worshiped God. The women saw this, Luke 23, 47. Something really miraculous had happened. The women also watched as Joseph, a righteous man, a member of that Jewish high council who had not agreed with the decision, went boldly forward to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus after he had been crucified. This was a bold ask for him to do. But this man, Joseph, wanted to honor Jesus, even though this had come to a tragic end in his mind. And so he wanted to honor Jesus. And the women watched as he was given permission to take Jesus's fallen body and to take that body to Joseph's own unused family tomb. Really quickly, the tombs at this time, we have archaeological evidence of how this worked. Uh, They weren't like our graves. They were uh, a shared space cut into the rock in the hills in this very dry area. And they'd be outside of town in a quiet place. And so Joseph's family had this new tomb cut that nobody had used before because you would have Multiple, multiple uses for a tomb. I don't want to get too deep into this, but you know, it was not a one-time use thing. And so you would roll the stone while the things happen that need to happen in a tomb and then it could be used for multiple family members. Well, this was a new tomb that had never been used before and the women followed and watched where that body was taken. It was the start of the Jewish Sabbath then on Friday night. So for all of Saturday, they could do no work but they knew what their work was that was yet to come. In this Jewish culture, it was a woman's, I imagine, honorable role that she would be, they would be the first to welcome in new life as it first arrived. They would hold new life, clean that fresh skin, care for that delicate body, wrap that new life into fresh, clean linens and swaddle it. And they were also the ones to honor the deceased, to take care of their fallen bodies, to put ointments and spices as this process happened in a tomb and then wrap them in linens. It's part of their role to show that nurturing and that dignity and that honor to life at the beginning and at the end. How sick must they have been in their hearts to watch what had happened to Jesus's physical body through the course of what they witnessed and then watch that body be placed, yes, with honor in a tomb, but there was still work to do, to do that work right. They knew it. And they rose before the sun even started to shine on Sunday after the Sabbath had passed. And they walked together with their spices and their ointments to the garden of the tomb. I was struck this week thinking about this particular garden of the tomb, this quiet space where the tombs would be, where people would know to show respect and quiet and honor and dignity to those who had passed. If you know me at all, and if you don't, here's getting to know me, gardens are my happy place. Here in Chicago, anytime things get a little bit like not my happiest day, the Botanic Gardens, Garfield Park Conservatory, 100% success rate at turning that day around. I love it. And when I can't get there, I have these little, we have these little window boxes on our back porch and I'll just sit and I'll, we'll plant in there. I'll deadhead and I'll just be like, I'm being productive in a garden this size. I love, love, love a garden. Well, this week we had the fun pleasure of going to San Diego on a family vacation and we headed out to the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. It's away from the, the Pacific coast. And it's in sort of the arid, dry hills before the mountains, right? It's very dry, rocky terrain. And as we walked around, albeit in the... Um, landscape with the the rhinoceroses and antelope that part is not biblical in this story but i was looking around at this this arid garden that had been designed to be like an african desert and i was struck by the the rough beauty of these plants the paths had been cut into the rock and the plants that exist there in the cold of the shade and then the excruciating heat when the sun's been beating down like you got to be a pretty rugged plant to make it and there's such a variety of greens and textures and then every now and then something will just burst forth this delicate little completely hardy, blossom in amazing colors. Like a desert garden is so beautiful in its own way. And I was walking through and enjoying this garden that's so different than my own or those in the Midwest. And I started to think about this garden of the tomb and the women walking between the cool and the sun and the temperature changes that happen between them. The differences and the extremity of the soil this dry climate, all of this, as I thought about this empty tomb moment and the quiet of them walking together, only the sound of their sandals hitting the ground with the, the sadness of what was in their mind. And I started to think as well about some echoes that I started to see about these similarities. Like this garden moment these interesting echoes to a different garden moment. A garden of Eden, a garden where everything started, where God's original design and intent for humanity and for flourishing all began. I said last week when we, I I didn't bring my Bible up this morning, I apologize, but like this whole book of the Bible is a story of God's pursuit after humanity starting in the garden of Eden. We start, we we are uh, worshiping a place where to triune God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together in perfect relationship, nothing missing, nothing needed, created life and light and everything out of an overflow of love and creativity and delight, not out of a need, not out of necessity. And from that Garden of Eden, we see that God created man and woman together to reflect the very image of God. And they walked together In the cool of that garden, experiencing perfect shalom or peace with God and with each other, nothing had fractured or broken yet. Until one day in that first garden, something did fracture. In the first garden, we see a whisper of the deceiver that caused the first crack in that shalom between God and humankind. Man and woman together is God's image and a seed of doubt is planted right in the middle there. The lie was whispered. Maybe God doesn't have the best in mind for you. Maybe God is holding out on you. Maybe it would be better if you were God and you were God and you were God and you were God. and you. Why don't we all be gods? That would maybe be better so God wouldn't be holding out on you and in that whisper the first little chip happened in the shalom have you ever had your uh, windshield crack a stone comes up and there's a first little chip and then little by little it spreads and it goes nuts like a big spider web until every nook and cranny of your windshield has this fracture and cracking all over it And that's what happened here. What started in that first garden as a little chip continued on to fracture and break until we had a full-blown crackling of the human heart. So by the time we get to the second garden, this garden of the tomb, we see that growth of that fracture has gone to a place where Jesus has now experienced is in his own embodied self. He has experienced corruption, Betrayal, lies, deceit, mocking, abuse. Consider just a few of these, but putting yourself in the humanity, the human experience of how it must have felt like to be Jesus of Nazareth, having the betrayal of your friend who's been following you, who's been a friend, you've been walking and camping together and sharing life, and he betrays you for a handful of coins? What a cut to the heart. He's experienced the religious leaders choosing to appeal to the oppressive Roman political powers because they need to get around their own moral code to get the death they so badly want. You've seen the corruption of politics and religion working together in wrong ways. You've experienced a mock trial, basically, where the Roman governor, Pilate, sends the guilty Barabbas free to pacify the crowd the bible says his purpose was to make the crowd happy he even says i found nothing no grounds for the death penalty to jesus luke 23:22 the governor says i got nothing but i'll give him to you and i'll give i'm sorry i'll give you barabbas the guy we know is guilty and i'll take the innocent one and he will be the sacrifice So you've seen a mock trial, and you've seen that that's to pacify the masses. How could such a vast fracturing ever be resolved when the source of the initial fracture, the deceiver, is still whispering and manipulating and fracturing shalom? How could that even be addressed? Again, when I thought about the garden, I thought of an interesting contrast Because the moment when the deceiver first whispers that lie and the fracture begins, God goes out into the cool of the garden and seeks after the people. God says, where are you hiding? We go to the garden of the tomb and we see the women going to seek after God. Where has he gone? We see seeking and loss in both gardens. And in the first garden, this one struck me as really interesting. In the first garden, the first moment of sacrifice was God's self sacrificing an animal because the fracture had come and Adam and Eve needed physical protection for their bodies. And God killed an animal to create a covering for them. The first sacrifice. God didn't wanna do that. God loved every bit of creation. But taking a sacrificial life to protect the humans, this was the first act of sacrifice. We go through that middle ground of the whole Old Testament and we see a system of sacrifices that's designed to forever try to bridge that gap between a holy God and a fractured, broken people. And we see this system of grain sacrifices and animal sacrifices, et cetera, a system of priests. And we've gotten to this point where our windshield is totally cracked at this point. And there is something that needs a better bridge. Something else needs to happen. And that's what we see coming to happen in this next tomb where the ultimate sacrifice, God's own son, makes a way where no grain offering or blood offering ever could. N.T. Wright makes this comparison. Here he is in this second garden, the new Adam, the gardener, charged with bringing the chaos of God's creation into new order, into flower, into fruitfulness. He's come to uproot the thorns and thistles and replace them with blossoms and harvests. How could such a vast fracturing ever be resolved? It was no longer a time for patching systems of sacrifice and gifts brought to temples, mediation by priests. There was more that could be done and God did the thing that needed to be done out of love. This wasn't the time for patching. What was needed was a full, total, and complete victory. That's what was needed. Defeat over the power that was behind the fracture in the first place. The power of the one who created the first whisper, power over even death itself that's why we celebrate an empty tomb with a stone rolled away and a pile of linens left behind and a savior who has risen up and goes to the followers and says see my hands my feet touch them they were for you this is the savior who's risen and come back this is the victory of our god because Jesus of Nazareth, in his fully human body, is scarred. He knows the reality of our humanness. He knows about also being fully God, fully son of God. And in that state, we see those wounds still there, but no longer debilitating. They've been resurrected. This is divinity resurrecting humanity. That's why we celebrate an opened, an empty tomb. He bears the scars of brutal wounds, but they do not have the final word on his marked body. Our God has not just taken it upon himself in Jesus, the betrayal, the lies, the corruption. He has not just taken on the brokenness, the scars, the scars he still bears today. He has not just taken it on, but our God defeated it all in a risen and redeemed savior. That's the big news. Christ our Lord is risen. Our God who has sought us from the first garden, found a way here to make a way back, to call us back into the flourishing of the original design, the flourishing of that original garden. We find all of that in the garden of the tomb in our risen King because he is risen. He is risen this time every year, we want to celebrate Three points that I wanna just point out. This is like a whole lot of information at once, but it's really important that we remember that there's a very powerful reason that our resurrected Lord matters Today, in the exact place where we are. There are three things that we wanna celebrate every single Resurrection Sunday. Number one, because Jesus rose from the tomb by the power of the Holy Spirit, he went to work, ascended at the right hand of our Father, therefore standing forever in that gap that was created with the fracture, forever standing in the gap between a holy God and a broken people. Our risen Lord stands there, with scars still today, standing in the gap, covering us with his own righteousness. When the Father looks on us, he sees the fullness of the Son. That's a beautiful truth. Whatever is in our past, whatever we bring in our junk backpacks, whatever it is, we stand holy, righteous, and redeemed because Jesus stands there now. Because God so loved us that God sent the Son to do that thing that no other system of sacrifice or mediation or atonement could do. That only way was to have the son make that gap um, insurmountable or surmountable. It no longer could be the thing that could hold us apart. The path is made possible all time through Jesus. The ultimate divine sacrifice stands there for all time. So number two, the thing we remember, because Jesus rose from the tomb, Darkness and death don't get the last word. And we have to remember that in the place where we are now because someday there will be another garden. Revelation calls that garden a city with a living water going right through it and God's self being there as the light that holds that garden city together. That day will come, but we still stand in a place, let's be honest, where there is still corruption. There's still corruption in politics and in religious institutions. There's war, there's death, there's disease. We do stand in a place where this isn't done yet. But the empty tomb reminds us that those things, those death darkness all of it they don't get the final word god is a god who will judge with all righteousness and all justice will be brought back together into perfect shalom and god gets the final word death disease darkness does not our god is stronger than any of that the third thing that i would say that we want to remember every year on resurrection sunday is this jesus made this promise to us and we know it to be true because Jesus rose from the tomb as our risen Lord, we now have the spirit of God with us, in us, among us. We have the spirit of God. In John 16, Jesus promised, I have to go now, but it's good for you that I do, I'm paraphrasing, because when I go, the Holy Spirit, the advocate will come to you and remind you of all that I've said and done. The Holy Spirit can come to us now Freely, because Jesus has ascended and his promises have become true. Romans 8:11. the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You, you and you individually and you, us as the church, as the body of Christ in the place we are in history here and now. The spirit of God lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the spirit living within you. And this reminder in the days that still sometimes feel dark, that don't always feel celebratory. 1 John 4, 4, the one who is in you, that Holy Spirit of God, that one is greater than the one who is in the world. This darkness, this stuff that is hard, the suffering, all of it that still exists now, we are in a story that is marked by glorious gardens beginning middle and end and until we get to that future glorious garden we have a garden of an empty tomb of a risen savior who has made a way and has given us his very presence through the holy spirit to be little lights little blossoms in the rocky crags of the world around us right to show god's love and to share it with the world around us that's why we celebrate an empty tomb on resurrection sunday amen Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missyodechicago.com.